Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Really gorgeous day in prospect. Now the hot one ahead, 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp 083. 396 96 96 email opinion at 96mm.ie. I see in the newspaper this morning where beach guards around the country are asking people, please, please, please don't jam the place up with traffic down in Fountaintown last evening for a swim, and the place was jointed with cars. I was down around half seven. Left again about half past eight, twenty past eight, and honest to God, it was like the middle of the afternoon. Cars was beach itself wasn't all that jointed, but God, where did all the cars uh, come from? So the beach guards around the county have asked people just for goodness' sake, don't jam the place up with your cars. Leave room just in case we have to get an emergency vehicle in. So that's. That's uh, well worth being aware of. 1850-715-996 is the number. The text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. The email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter is at opinionline96 with our hashtag OL96. And if you want to contact us through Facebook, of course, as always, it's the Corks 96FM, excuse me, Corks 96FM Facebook page. And address your messages to the attention of the opinion line. Now, social media is absolutely on fire since last night and into this morning with accusations and blame and finger pointing and all those different things about a COVID outbreak on the north side of Cork City. What we know to be confirmed at this stage. Uh, We know this to be confirmed. There's a small number of cases have been confirmed on the north side and more people are waiting test results. There are all sorts of rumours going around, like rumours of international travel outside of the green list countries, of house parties, of people refusing to self-isolate. None of this is confirmed. A number of people have been named on social media in connection with this, that and the other. And there's a lot of tension, as you can imagine, as a result. Like I said, finger-pointing, chin-wagging, curtain-twitching, pearl-clutching, whatever you want to call it. The squinting windows are open uh, up around the north side of the city this morning. Uh, But all that we know is that a handful of cases have been confirmed and there are more results of tests awaited. Now, if you're anyone... Connected to any of this in any way, uh, you'd like to talk to us, you'd like to tell us about it, uh, 08, uh, 083 396 96 for a text or WhatsApp or call us at 1850-715-996. Uh, let's go to uh, Dr. John Sheehan. John, good morning. Morning, PJ. Again, we're dealing with what we only know to be a handful of cases Um more than two clay, more than two cases constitutes a cluster, doesn't it? It, it, cer- it certainly does. Well, if you have one case, it's regarded as an isolated case. But if there is more than one case, then they regard it as a cluster, and they do the public health um, doctors and teams do treat that differently than one isolated case. And yesterday, PJ, I got a number of calls from concerned patients um, um, regarding um, this, and. 
this is going to happen. And, and what you said there earlier in your preamble was, you know, absolutely correct. We are going to get, it's a, acts as a reminder that it, it's still around, that it hasn't gone away. And, you know, we've all congratulated ourselves. And we've all done very well. And Cork in particular has done very well. But it takes very little, as we saw up in Leash and Offaly and all those areas, for it to for the virus to take off again. And this is going to happen, and it's going to happen more as we go into the autumn in schools, in workplaces, in clubs, and all those groupings. Despite the best precautions, there are going to be outbreaks and clusters. And we're going to have to learn to manage that and how to deal with that. And I remember Leo Barack was on the news the other day, and he was saying we need to get away from the shaming that people have it. And, and I, I have to say I'd agree with him that we need to get away from this notion that, you know, there's, there's, there's shame. We need to be open and honest about it. We need to, you know, adhere to the guidelines um, as much as all of us can do. None of us can do everything 100%, but we can do an awful lot. And it comes down to the masks, the hand washing, the social distancing. Those three things are the big things that are going to stop these outbreaks going. Not big rumours on Facebook, not all sort of different hypothetical theories, people coming back from Spain, people in the workplace, people at a wedding, all of those sort of rumours. It's the three behaviours that are within all of us to do, PJ, that will make a difference and reduce the spread of this virus. It's human nature that if a case emerges in a community, people will get, first of all, more frightened than they were before. And, and secondly, we'll look for reasons of why it got into the community. Blame is a thing. It's part of the human condition. If you got it, it must be your fault and you must have done something out of the way. We need to stop that mentality, John. We, we absolutely do. And over the years, PJ, this has happened with every illness. TB was always associated with poverty. HIV was associated with certain behaviours. You know, there's all this judgmental sort of um, thing that people have had with different diseases, mental health, cancer, etc. So we, we need to move away from that. I could get it. You could get it. Our next door neighbour could get it. Any of us could get it, despite our best efforts. We could be doing everything right and we could still get it. All the measures reduce down your risk and they do reduce down your risk significantly, but we could still get it and we need to move away from that. Like. I guess it's fair to point out that things like large house parties don't help and, and, and gatherings of more than the required number of people don't help. And, and you know, ignoring the, the guidelines doesn't help. But, but finger pointing doesn't help either. No, it, it, it certainly doesn't. And, you know, we've had a huge spirit of solidarity and you can understand it, the frustration, as you were saying, you know, the weather's great. People want to get out and about. They want to go to the beach. They want to, you know, mix with each other. That's totally understandable. But within that, we still have to, uh, you know, follow the guidelines. And it's really important to remember the virus gets in through your eyes, through your nose or through your mouth. That's how the virus gets in. So if you're wearing a mask, if you're doing social distancing and if you're washing your hands, your chances are really, really low of picking this up. And the virus isn't spread, you know, you would have people who were maybe passing someone in a corridor or who might have been in touch with someone who was in touch with someone, that sort of thing. The public health contact tracing has worked really hard at sort of slowing the spread of these sort of outbreaks. And they're very good at doing it. And also, and I know Professor Mary Horgan was talking um, about this, um, we may reach the situation, PJ, um, at the weekend we had three counties, you know, closed down. 
we may reach the situation if this continues where we'll have very localised sort of close down where maybe a school and sort of all the area around a certain area may have to close down for a short period of time. And that might be a practical solution if we're getting many of these over the winter rather than closing a whole county down. Some of the experts have been talking about a zoned system. Uh, uh, like yesterday morning, I had um, Dr. Uh, Tyg, uh, Ryan, was, yeah, Tomas, Tomas Ryan on with me. Uh, he was talking about red zones, green zones, orange zones, and eventually moving to green zones piece by piece and piecemeal around the country. This morning, we read in the papers that the government are looking at, at a, bl- a status blue for areas where the virus has been successfully suppressed and the, the, the cabinet are looking at a whole colour-coded system. We may need to be broken down into small districts, cleared district by district. Well, we absolutely may be. And, you know, we're, we're a very open country. People move around. I was in Kerry last week. You were in Funktonstown last night. You know, that's what we do. We're very social people. But um, it wouldn't make sense to do a full lockdown if there's cases up in Drogheda, for instance, and then there's very little down here in Cork and Kerry. So I think we're probably going to have to move to something like that um, over the winter because this is going to be with us probably for the next nine months until the vaccine comes, maybe um, a bit longer. So I think that's a practical response to these local outbreaks that we're all going to have. They're going to happen in schools. You know, I guarantee you, in the end of September, on your show, there will be a school, or perhaps a couple of schools, where there's been some cases. If you look in the US and other countries where the schools have come back, there's always some outbreaks. That's going to happen, and it's inevitable. We just need to plan and manage that. Okay, Dr. John Sheehan, thank you. As always, 1850-715-996. As I say, the only thing that we know to be confirmed is that there are a small handful of cases on the north side of the city and more people are awaiting test results. Rumours about travel and about parties and about people not self-isolating. They're just that. They're just rumours. And the finger-pointing on social media is not helping the situation at all. Just to look at some of the the figures uh, over the last couple of days, the official figures for Cork and dealing with the the hub, the official government hub, which updates about every 48 hours or so. So in the 14 days up to last Sunday the 9th, Cork had 22 cases. So that's, that's... up to the so that's from Sunday the ninth back to two previous Sundays before, twenty two cases in those previous fourteen days. Yesterday, Neffet told us that there were thirty five new confirmed cases across twelve countries, including Cork. So, we now know that the small number of cases that we said uh, on the north side in the last uh, couple of days. Uh, I was on a bus last night to the caller. No seats downstairs. I went upstairs full of young fellas with no masks on. Not distancing. On my way out I asked the driver and said sure I can't see them upstairs. You'd wonder had their masks even getting on. Even if they took them off surely a bus errand or government responsibility surely it's their responsibility to enforce the rules. How is the driver supposed to do that? Do you want them traipsing up the stairs? We don't have bus conductors anymore. Maybe if you get a few inspectors on board the bus, that might help. An anonymous Facebook message. Not too keen on these, but look. The outbreak outbreak is connected to a well-known business on the north side. 
a family member of that business was abroad and didn't self-isolate when they returned. It's a disgrace and loads of people will catch it that way. Another anonymous one. BJ, there's at least four parties in Farinree over the last week. One got way out of control and had people coming and going all night. I'd say there must have been a hundred people in and out. Are they coming to work now? Are they going to the shops now? Jerry, via WhatsApp, hi PJ, unfortunately those measures alone won't stop the spread of COVID-19, particularly when there's an outbreak or a cluster. Measures like lockdown works, but it has to be done on a national basis. The difficulty I have about zones is they're impossible to police. People move in and out of those areas, a bit like people coming in from infected areas on planes from other countries and being allowed to get off without self-isolating. Zoning is basically window dressing the problem. It'll spread like wildfire if it's implemented, says Jerry. Well, there are people with many, many letters after their name. Jerry, people with more degrees than a thermometer are pushing the idea of zones. We might talk to one of them next. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette. Now at the Junction Vickers Road. Open every day to save you time and money. Selfservicelaundry.ie For 20 minutes of the best music mix. Non-stop. And everything Cork. Ken Tobin. On Cork's 96FM. All this week, I'll give you the chance to win with the Jemison Distillery Experience Tour. I have a daily prize of a pair of tickets which could end up as a two-night stay at the Castle Mart Resort in a grand suite. We're uploading our Facebook questions. I'll keep an eye on the world of showbiz and I'll play Cork's best music mix. On air, online and on your smart speaker. Ken Tobin. Weekdays from midday. Cork's 96 FM. He applies. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96 FM. I gave you the figures from the hub. Uh, the figures from the hub were updated. Uh, the last fortnightly figure I could give you was up to last Sunday night. I now have more detail from NEFET, from the National Public Health Emergency Team. When you dig down into the figures they released yesterday evening, it gave us three additional cases in Cork since Monday. So Tuesday's figures were up three since Monday. So we have three new cases confirmed in Cork. 1850-715-996. Dylan says names are flying around It's embarrassing, it's disgraceful, there's no privacy for the people at all. And and that's worth thinking about. Like if someone gets sick with COVID-19, they, as Dr. 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 John Sheehan just said, they may have picked it up completely by accident. They have no part to play at all in how they got it. You know, leave people alone. Let them get on with dealing with the with the illness. 1850-715-996. Professor Anthony Staines uh, from DCU has been with me several times. Professor, good morning again. Good morning, how are you? Uh, people get very worried when they see numbers going up and the finger pointing and the clamour on social media is, is distasteful to say the least. But uh, let's come and talk about about the whole idea that of, of colour-coded zones and, and, and how we might tackle the virus going into the autumn and the winter. Uh, the, do you like the colour-coded zones idea? 
I think it is a step in the right direction. It, it is saying that the different parts of the country are different. It's, a, a, I suppose, a small step. It's a slightly timid step. But the, it is a step on predicating the idea that there's going to be a vaccine in April. That, that's what the minister said. If that's true, that means, uh, for a start, much of the school year is guess written off. The ex- expectation of the experts in this is that the vaccine will be available in small quantities in April. And that's what, I'm not a vaccine expert, but that's what the vaccine experts are saying. Yeah. Uh, if everything goes absolutely perfectly on the two main vaccines that are in large-scale trials right now that have started their trials. The Russian one, isn't it, and the, uh, the, and the Oxford one? No, the, the Russian one hasn't, been te- hasn't, re- hasn't really been tested, as far as anyone can tell. Right. Um, although the Russians have claimed that it is now going to be used, they've also claimed that the clinical trials of it are just starting. So it's, it's extremely confusing. But there, there is a very clear view in the vaccine community that these vaccines have to be safe. It is proposed to give these vaccines ultimately to somewhere between hundreds of millions and billions of people. Something you're giving to hundreds of millions of people has to be very, very safe. And if it isn't, you have a disaster in your hands. Yeah. So there's a serious concern about that. If the vaccines are are delayed, we could be having this conversation next April. Yeah and saying, well, you know, what do we do till April 2022? And the concern my colleagues and I would have is that the plan is still to live with the virus. The plan is still to live with the virus in colour-coded regions and not to do what countries that have controlled the virus successfully have done, which is you know, countries like China, countries like South Korea, countries like Vietnam, countries like New Zealand, which is the country people always mention. Mm. Um, but there has been no serious discussion of an alternative to living with the virus. Proposals on bringing the virus to zero have been sent to the uh, National Public Health Emergency Team and have been sent to the Ministry mm. for Health. You know what frightens people about that, Professor? Mm. The idea that you drive it to zero and you, you try to get to a situation whereby you have, is it two consecutive uh, periods of 14 days mm. uh, and, and you try to get to 28 days of zero new cases and zero zero fatalities. What frightens people, I think, ordinary people, is that I mean, we'd love to get to that. Mm. But God almighty, would we have an economy at the end of it? Uh, my take on it is if we carry on as we are, we won't have an economy at the end of it anyway. Uh, mm. There's no particular reason why we shouldn't spend the next nine months doing lockdowns around the country. I mean, from, from what you're reporting, the next region to be locked down is Cork City. So if, if you're currently sitting in Cork... Three City, cases, then, Professor? We don't know. Listening to social media, it sounds apocalyptic. Hopefully it is only three cases. But if it's more than three cases... Would, would you, you know if, if it were your call, would, would you lock down the city on the basis of what we're now learning? No, what, what I would do, if, 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 I was, if it were my call, I would do three things. I would have a clear strategy that says, this is where we're going across the whole country. 
because you know this the people move around the country and we have worked out a strategy which consists largely of doing what we're doing right now but doing it more intensively across the whole country and the discussion on social media despite some of the lurid terms used it does sound like people really took people really stopped doing some of the basic stuff and that's easily fixable because you can start doing some of the basic stuff. You can start wearing masks. You can start not having large-scale parties. All of this is quite doable. And you, in a way, you're you're paying in so, you know, your social opportunities to keep your economy going and to open your schools. Because from our point of view, opening the schools is a really high priority and keeping the economy going is essential. So we're no, no one is talking about a return to the original lockdowns that we had. The, that was an emergency response to an, a very dire emergency situation. And it did, what it, it did what it was meant to do. It stopped the health service being overwhelmed because mm-hmm. that could very easily have happened, in which we, we could have had the experience of New York with yeah. literally bodies decomposing in refrigerated trucks on the side of the road. Doesn't bear thinking happened. about it. Doesn't bear no, thinking. it doesn't bear thinking about it. And we didn't get that. Yeah. We we had we didn't get the situation they had in northern Italy where every intensive care bed was filled twice. Yeah. And that's good that's great. That's fantastic. We 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 did something very difficult and we avoided the disaster. But we have a challenge now, which is what do we do next? And the government's current proposal is to live with this. If you look at the figures, by the early June of this year, we had very nearly eradicated this virus from the whole country. Yeah, A lot and, of your, your colleagues and yourself are now saying that we should have held tight at that stage and not opened up as much as we did. Yeah, but that's, that's the past. We, we can't, you know... No, it'd be wonderful should, if should we start closing that. it down again? I think we we are going to have to start closing it down again. And the specific way we're going to have to close it down again is by re- identifying zones and restricting travel in and out of those zones. So just as we're saying no unnecessary foreign travel, and you know, what's, what's necessary foreign travel? What's, what's essential foreign travel? Essential foreign travel is things like freight, and, and, drive, uh, and drivers. Essential foreign travel is family emergencies. Essential foreign travel is, is people who live in the country but are currently outside the country coming back into the country. Mm. And many countries in Europe, you come in, you are tested at the airport, you're isolated until your test results come back or for 14 days. We're not that, doing that. We're not doing we, we have a non-existent control system at the airports. We write down, we get you to write down your address and we ring a small number of people and say, are you there? And sometimes they say yes and sometimes they say no and sometimes they don't answer the phone and then that's it, we move on to the next one. That's that's not fit for purpose. If you, if you think at county level, what's essential travel across county boundaries? The, when Kildare, Offaly and Leash were brought down, the you know there, there was a woman was asked, who, who lives, I think, my geography may be wrong here, I think she lives on the Offaly border. And her brother, who lives on the Carlow border, 
lives on the other side of the road from her, but it's a different county. So again, cross that sort of crossing is entirely reasonable. If you if you live in Carlo and you work in Offaly and your job requires you to go to work, then that's essential travel. Yeah. But but, but it, if for but, example we were to tighten it Tighten Cork City right now. Mm. If we, if we, seeing as we, we we have a cluster or we appear to have a cluster, mm. if you were to tighten down Cork City right now, are you, are you suggesting that one would not have any essential, non-essential travel beyond the city boundaries, for example? I, I think you you would need a lot of local knowledge. Yeah. So I know here, for example, I live in North Dublin. I know exactly where what we would do, which is we would almost certainly take Dublin as a unit. Mm. So my impression in Cork, and I may be wrong about this because I'm not from there, is that for many purposes, Cork City and County are a unit. So you might well put, say, no non-essential travel past the borders of uh, Cork County. A A lot of people, it is a big county. A lot of people live in Cork County, very close to Cork City. So you might be more subtly, you might say, well, we've, Cork and adjoining suburbs. Yeah, you know it, it is very much a matter of knowing the local conditions and and, act, and acting upon them. I'm going to leave it there for now. Uh, thank you, as always, Professor Anthony Staines um, at the uh, DCU School of Nursing, Psychotherapy, and Community Health. Uh, <laughs> grim possibility there. He says, you know, maybe Cork might be next for a for a local lockdown, uh, if these numbers become significant like they became up in Leash and Offaly and Kildare. Dylan's in Farron Reid. Dylan, uh, a lot of the stuff on social media we've been referring to, we're not going to quote it or anything like that, but there's a lot of finger pointing going on up there. There is, like, I mean, like I've only, I only saw it yesterday, probably like everyone else around and I couldn't believe, I was disgusted by the way some people were commenting on it. They were trying to put down names or trying to pinpoint people like it's like what kind of disgusting thing is that like even to do that in the middle of a pandemic I just I don't agree with it I think it's horrible and it's the privacy like the family deserve privacy whether they have it or not and I know understand people might be worried I understand people might be sitting at home saying what if I'm next but you have absolutely no right to go out and do something so wrong as that like yeah, yeah. I mean, face, my Facebook feed and Twitter feed were full of suggestions, names, ask this fella, ask that fella, pin this fella down, pin that fella down. What good does that do? Exactly. Like, I had three people actually DM me yesterday, uh, you know, trying to name a family saying, what if it was them because they live down this road, they live down that road. I said, I just blocked them instantly because I think it is just what purpose do you get out of it? Like, what purpose is there? I mean, it'd be different if it was maybe, um, you know, something silly like anything, but to go out and try and, you know, like, it, it just, it's totally wrong in my opinion. That's like if someone died and I went around and I spread it to every single person in Cork City. Like, you can't do that. And people don't know if it's them or not. That's that's the truth of it, because it has happened already in lots of places. So, you know, why you're accusing someone for nothing. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's 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 terrible. It just shows the real downside of 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 social media. Leave it there, Dylan. Thank you. Eighteen fifty seven one five. Karen, release the line to me there, D, and I'll go to her. Uh, Karen Corcoran's contacted us from uh, the Charisma Hair Salon. Karen, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Without identifying anybody, obviously, what's what? What have you come across? Um, well, I have to be honest with you. It wasn't so much that I came across um, anything as such. It's just that we, um, it's it's what we have to have put in place to protect um, our, our customers and our staff um, and ourselves because uh, we, we can't. Like people must understand that we can't do anything only with what the customers are telling us. Yeah. So what we have to do is just have everything possible in place. Um, if somebody tells us our marks on the farm that they weren't away or they weren't um, uh, in touch with anybody, we're, we're not there. We can't prove that they were or they weren't. Yeah. So we have to use our own judgment. Like I've gone to the stage where I've even text people to say, look, I've heard such a person has had blah, blah, blah. Um, I need to, to be sure that everything is okay before you could come into the salon. And... Um, I would have got replies back like that myself. So personally, that's something that I had to do that I don't like having to do, but I have to do it because um, we, we have to protect everyone that's there. Um, it's a horrible text to make or it's a horrible call to have to make to be asking people, are you sure? You know, you know, you'd hear rumours and you'd hear stuff and especially with all this going on around Farnley, you know, about people coming back from holidays and not um, self-isolating. Um that and and not not being careful, like personally, we had to um, we had to spend nearly five grand on proper PPE gear in order for me to open my door of the salon. We didn't apply for any grants because the hoops that you have to go through to actually get a grant is ridiculous. Yeah. And by the time you get it, we wouldn't have been able to open. I mean, we have we have seven infrared. Um, hand sanitizing stations in the salon alone. We have 13 screens. We have all our bathroom and our sinks outside were changed to um, disposable uh, towels, as in um, hand towels. All our uh, soap is disposed is um, hand hand um, press our infrared so that people don't touch it. Even our toilet roll we changed to um, having the toilet roll so that you didn't have to use the same roll that it was individual sheets. We also have track and trace farms um, the height of a small person. Every single person, I've had customers giving out to me saying, Karen, I was only here yesterday getting an eyebrow wax. Uh, I'm here today for a blow dry. Why do I have to fill out the farm again? I said, if you're here every day, you have to fill out because a new this, farm. This is the way it has to be done. Exactly. And I've had people being frustrated with us and saying, why do I have to do this and why do I have to do that? Before any masks were made mandatory, this is how we opened our doors on the 30th of June, before any of this was mandatory. We opened our doors. We haven't changed what we opened our doors with. Yeah. We opened the doors on the 30th of June like this, and nobody has been left in our door without a mask. All our towels are disposable. Yeah. All our gowns are disposable. Yeah. All our aprons are disposable. Um, you're doing your absolute best. You're, you're just hoping that, you're, that you're, your customers will. There was a text message, was there, from a customer looking for a blow dry? There was a customer rang in for a blow dry and we had been made aware that um, the, she was would have been part of a family that um, 
there would have been COVID in it. And I just felt that I had to go a step further um, before. Um, and the same uh, person is a regular customer, lovely girl, lovely family. And I just still felt that I had to go a step further. And I contacted her personally um, just to say, look, I need to know, obviously, there's going to be rumours and bullshit going around, which there is constantly because yeah. people are, are at a heightened state and people are at a state where um, they just get involved and say this and rumours and things get said. And I had been told that um, her uh, brother was only home from holidays four or five days and um, that he had it or whatever and he was at parties and he wasn't isolating. So I felt I had to go a step further and I contacted her and just personally kind of reached out and said, look, I just need to be super careful here. I have to protect my girls and my customers. Um, could you give me the information or whatever? And to be fair to the girl, she was so good about it. Um, she knew where I was coming from. She sent me proof of her brother's flight showing that when he landed um, was over two weeks ago um, on the 28th of July, or, uh, I think it was, showed me her two COVID tests that she got the text back showing that she was clear and she said to me but I'll still wait another week even though her 14 days were up Thursday yeah. and she had said I'll still wait another week um, if that's okay if, if, if that suits you better I mean we can't go any further no. and that's not my first incident of that do you know what I mean yeah. we can't go any further with that so if there's people that are going to come into the salon and have been away and are not self-isolating like, what, what more can we do? Do you know what I mean? We really, truly are... You can, you can are, do nothing more. You you really are dependent on personal responsibility and cop we on. Are. We are. We, and we are. And I mean, I, Jesus, I, I, I beg people out there to be straight and to be honest about it because I'm, I'm, I'm at risk myself, right? I'm at the at-risk category. Um, I opened my doors on the 30th. I brought my staff back in. Um, they're all... They're, I have two staff members that would have people at home that are highly at risk um, like we, we, we go to work every day with it in our head that somebody is bound to be lying or somebody is bound to have it and not know so we have to do everything possible to protect the salon we, do you know how far we went we replaced everything in the salon as in all our brushes, all our combs, all our pumps for our shampoos we replaced all them going into the salon you know, I mean, like, we, we, I'm just begging people out there to please have the cop on in the sense that when you, if you are away, you know, do yourself isolating. You know, my own son went on holidays and came back only last night and he's not locked back into the family home for two weeks. Mm. You know, I mean, that's, I, I, I had a holiday myself last week um, to go to uh, the UK to visit family and I had to cancel that because the UK was taken off the green list so that was my week off and I had to cancel that I lost all my flights at Ryanair I lost all my money with it I had myself my partner and my um, father booked and we had to cancel that because I couldn't take 14 days self-isolating I have a girl that rents in the salon doing lashes she went on holidays she wasn't, even though she pays rent to rent the room in the salon, she wasn't left to come back into the salon for 14 days um, before actually hers was 16 days before she was left back into the salon. Do you know? So, like, we can't do any more. No. 
We you, genuinely you, can't do any more. You need the public to cooperate and, and to cop we on. We really and truly okay. do, yeah. Right, we Karen. really, really and truly do. I'm going to leave it there. Thanks very much. That's Karen Corkin from Charisma Hair Salon. And I think she probably speaks for many, many businesses like her. Even at the moment, and there's a sign on the front of Broadcasting House telling you that our offices are presently closed to the public. And they are. But if someone has official business to visit the the radio station, there's a a form that they've got to fill in uh, when they come before they come in and before they come upstairs. It's the standard questions. We would hope that they answer them truthfully. I've been to many places over the last couple of months, um, particularly say RTE as a panelist uh, for the day show, and you had to fill out the questions and answer truthfully. You, you ask, if you don't answer truthfully, you, the only you're, as the teachers are saying, you're only fooling yourself, but it could be a lot more dangerous than that. Fiona on WhatsApp says if people recklessly disobey rules and regulations, they deserve to be named. Some people are consciously having gatherings, not wearing masks. The mass exit in the three counties put in lockdown last week was a joke. I think they're exempt. They think they're exempt. Instead of staying home, they travel to other countries, putting them, or counties rather, putting them at risk. Oh, darn. Pat on WhatsApp. Isn't it amazing since... Oh, jeez. Am I going to read that? Isn't it amazing, says Pat on WhatsApp, only since face nappies have become mandatory in, ma- in Europe and Ireland, COVID-19 cases have started to increase. Makes sense since face nappies are moist, infected, germ-ridden garments. Who's part of the problem now? The Opinion Line on Courts 96 FM. With the Junction, Vickers Road, Supermarket, Solid Fuel Depot and a self-service laundrette. Your one stop for everything. The Cork Diary. On Courts 96FM. Independence Museum Kilmurray will be hosting the Rebel Rally Car Run on Sunday the 16th of August. Registration is at 10am and departing at 12 noon. This event is open to all cars and will be visiting Crossbarry and Dripsy Ambush sites with talks on the day by Sean Crowley and Mary O'Mahony. For more info, check out the Independence Museum Kilmurray's Facebook page. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email Cork Diary at 96fm.ie Cork's 96fm and Cork City Council invite you to take an online adventure Your adventure starts today Explore many of Cork's beautiful buildings at corkheritageopenday.ie On Saturday, August 15th, enjoy virtual tours of buildings across Cork. Hear from owners and local historians and take part in fun quizzes, colouring competitions and lots more. Your adventure starts today. Click corkheritageopenday.ie and follow them online for more. Cork Heritage Open Day, August 15th, with Cork City Council, the Heritage Council, the Echo, and Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. Kevin says, imagine with this witch hunt going on, what happens? People simply delete their app because let's be honest, who needs that abuse in their lives? And then try contact tracing when people keep quiet about where they were for fear of reprisals. Line two, you say, Dee. Thanks very much. Ah, there's my old friend Anne Buckley. Anne, how are you? I'm fine, TJ, and you? Good. Come here, without 
naming any names or dropping anybody or whatever. We know that there are some cases up around the north side. Um, What have you been hearing? What are you worried about? Are you worried? Well, PJ, I only heard about it yesterday and I don't know who these people are. I just don't. Um, Where I'm living is totally different. They're living away from me, so I don't know. But PJ, come on now, like, in this country, now there's one law for one and one for another. How do you mean? Well, when when this hit us, they should have locked. When they locked down our country, they should have locked down the planes. They shouldn't have let no one out and no one in. They should have no PJ. I know people that went away. That they only signed a farm there and a farm over there, and came, there shouldn't have been no one left in a row. Yeah. When your country's on lockdown, you're on lockdown. Yeah, you don't think you're on lockdown. And I need the elderly people now. Yeah. I work with elderly people, like I'm still working all the way through this. Yeah. I know they're, they're sticking themselves in, inside the door again. Now they won't come out. Yeah, I have been hearing that, Anne. A lot of people, elderly people in particular, literally yes. living at home in fear. They won't are, come yeah. out, won't go to the PJ, shop. I'm doing home had 28 years, by, And I've never seen the fear in them as I've seen it now. Yeah. They just will not come out. And I think they should have locked down everything. Sure, we were supposed to go away in, in May for a, for a holiday. We couldn't go, but we didn't cancel. They cancelled us. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do, I do, I do. So, like, there's one law for one here. They should just have blocked down everything. And plus the fact they're not even being tested, are they? Not enough, anyway. I was one blind walker and I wasn't tested. Were you never tested? Never. We asked, I asked about it, and we were told, no, that we're not showing any symptoms and things like that. And no, we didn't, PJ. And, and, and it's, a, it's a home help that you are, isn't it? What? It's a home help that you yeah, are, isn't it? Yeah. And you were never tested? No. Did no. you ask to be tested? I did. I did. And if my bosses are listening to me this morning, they, they can verify I asked. Yeah. I have a daughter working up in Care Choice. Yes. And she's there eight, nine years. And... Fair play, it didn't go in there, PJ, because they locked it down eight weeks before this hit. Yeah. Kept it out. Everyone was tested up there. Everything was clear there. Yeah. Now, Last uh, month, for the month of July, every worker was tested for the whole month. Yeah. No one had it. And now next week they're being tested again. And we didn't get one. Right. We didn't get one test. We're going to wear our gloves, our masks, our sanitation. That's what we're doing. Yeah, you're doing. You're looking after it for yourself and just hoping against we hope have, that you're we're all right. We're making sure that they don't get it. Of course, sure. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I'm with these people years, like. Yeah, yeah. And it would break me heart if I think I was going to bring it into them. Yeah. Well, but I don't know these people. And PJ, I be lying if I said I did. But I hope everything goes well for them. Yeah. But yeah. they'll have to do their social distancing. Staying. All right. Okay. And listen, always good to talk to you. Thanks very much. That's Anne Buckley, the Queen of Farron as they call. A home help. 
uh, working right through this, never tested. Never. Why? Why? Never tested. 1850 um, Connected or not connected, as you wish, we were following all through the summer the story of the houses in um, College Road and Magazine Road and Highfield and all that. And it's kind of died down a little bit. It ended up in court and there was uh, some angry exchanges, shall we say, across the, the weeks of June and July. It appears to have died down a bit. But the Magazine Residence Association, Magazine Road Residence Association, are now worried again because well, college will resume uh, in September in whatever way, shape or form it does. Catherine Clancy, what are you worried about now? Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. And I just have to say, first of all, PJ, thank you for all the support that you gave us through those that month of June in particular, like, you know, uh, the radio station really helped. Um, I suppose what we're worried about now and what we are calling on is for UCC to make it clear to uh, the residents and I suppose to the city as well that uh, Freshers Week won't be going ahead. We take that it won't be, you know what I mean, because of uh, health, health and, you know, that being sensible and the dangers of the uh, contacting and um, the clusters if the Freshers Week went ahead that it would be, you know, that the announcement would be made by UCC. We haven't heard it yet and we're calling on UCC to, you know, for us to ease our concerns that they will actually announce shortly that Freshers Week won't be going ahead. Well, we don't even know in what way, shape or form the yes. return to college will take yes. at this stage. Yeah, and I suppose what we've heard from UCC, like, is that their priority is particularly to get first years on campus, you know what I mean, because they're new and to give them the experience of being on UCC, and it is very difficult for the UCC. It's difficult for students, it's difficult for parents. But for us, I suppose, as local residents surrounding the area of UCC, we have uh, concerns, yeah. and the last thing that we would want to hear is that fresher week no, was going no, to go Catherine, ahead. You, you, you know mm. as well as I do, mm. uh, and we've both been around the block mm. a bit, you mm. know mm. as well as I do, that even if the college, in its wisdom, were to say Freshers Week is cancelled, sure, it'll still go ahead. Well, I suppose, you know, I don't, it won't go Students' Union mightn't back it, but it'll happen anyway. Well, I think the Students' Union shouldn't back it, like, you know, but it did make a difference when they uh, changed their uh, policy around the Christmas parties and things like that. But I think, you know, there are two players here. Well, there's a number of players. First of all, there's UCC should now make it clear, like, you know, in the interest of public health, in the interest of their students, in the interest of the surrounding community, that Freshers' Week won't be going ahead. We also, a um, number of the houses in the area now, we've had had improvements, particularly since that court case. It has made a difference, but it was a hard time for the, for the residents, you know, but it did make a difference. And, you know, we have much more cooperation from uh, landlords around the area that weren't cooperating beforehand. Yeah. But what, what we want now is for landlords now their last attendances are changing this week that every new contract going into any of the houses and for landlords and management companies to make it very clear within the uh, contract for new tenants that there will be no COVID lockdown parties in those houses. That's all they have to do. That's all they have to say and it works because the landlord holds all the cards. There's a huge demand still for properties and if there are our houses that are giving trouble and if the residents make contact with the landlord well the landlord can clearly say to those uh, tenants that you have broken your contract. Okay. All right, Catherine, thank you. Catherine Clancy from the Magazine Road Residence Association. We don't believe that any case across the summer actually came out of those get-togethers in those houses. We have obviously no way of knowing, but I'm sure we'd have heard. We don't believe anything came out of those 
houses in terms of uh, COVID-19. But now there's Catherine Clancy from the Magazine Road Residents Association calling on the opinion line, calling on UCC to officially cancel the traditional Freshers' Week. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96 FM. 1857-15996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Coming up shortly, it's about a week ago now since that massive bomb explosion in Beirut and the people of Beirut need everybody's help, including ours. Where you were standing would have made the difference between life and death, between a superficial or a very serious injury. We'll be getting to that shortly. Just some comments we're holding over on COVID-19 because we're inundated. Finbar says you can't claim back tax on a private COVID-19 test. What sense does that make? Especially for people who took the initiative when the tests were hard to come by. We can't claim tax on the cost of a COVID-19 test. Caller says we lost a member of staff because we wouldn't allow him back to work without quarantining. But I'm shocked to see at a restaurant someone I know on holiday back to work without quarantine. The government should be using some kind of tracing system and cross-referencing. This isn't fair and it isn't good for public health. Naturally, after what I saw last night on social media, it's turning into a witch hunt. People looking for the names of people who have it. It's causing trouble and will continue to cause more trouble. Finn on WhatsApp, just an observation. Face masks are now mandatory to be worn in shops. Not sure if that statutory instrument has been passed yet, by the way. Must keep an eye. Uh, yet as soon as somebody leaves a premises, the masks are pulled down. There's beaches, there's outdoor eating areas packed over the past few weeks. Stating the obvious, it's utterly stupid. As you've said before, PJ, we had a soft lockdown here. Uh, now we have carte blanche for the virus to catch us again. Caller PJ just said there were no virus came out of the Magazine Road and Glashine Road parties. Are you very sure of that? The answer to that is no, I am not. No, I am not. But but from what we know, from what we know, nothing came out of it. Uh, this government has no respect for areas like Farron Ree, PJ, says Tom. They have time only for the more affluent places. Uh, on the Glanmire notice board, listening to Karen from Charisma on the Glanmire notice board says, I wouldn't be a customer after that call if asked for evidence of a private medical exam, GDPR and all of that. Well, if you willingly hand it over, if you willingly show the results, then GDPR doesn't come into it. You share your own data. So that's, that's, that covers that problem. I think it's horrible that a hairdresser would quiz a customer on the basis of gossip in the salon chair. There are always people who flout the rules, but the majority can't be blamed. Well, I'm sorry, but, you know, gossip in the salon chair might just be true. And and you need to check it out, even if you only get a smidgen of information, like we get a smidgen of information here. We don't bring it straight baldly to air. We check it out. And when we can put some some bones on it, then we bring it to air. But if you hear something in the salon chair that might concern you with regard to a customer, then yeah, absolutely. You go and you research it and you go and you work it out and you go and you see how you can best address it with regard to your business. Because as Dr. Mike Ryan from the World Health Organization has said, and I'll play this again. You can call it anything you like. Take the pressure off this virus. The virus will bounce back. Right Now, I will go back to that later on and also Beirut coming up. But uh, units of the Cork County Fire Service were at the scene all night 
of a fire in Middleton. The last I heard they had left the scene, they were there just damping down, just keeping an eye on it this morning. But the alarm was raised about 20 to 2 on the main street in Middleton. A fire in the building adjacent to the post office. The place was closed down to traffic as well for the night. Uh, County Mayor is Councillor Mary Lenehan Foley. Mary, good morning. Good morning, PJ. What can you tell us? I just devastating news this morning. The building is destroyed, and um, it's a family-run post office, the Moran family. But thankfully, nobody was hurt, so that's the main thing, really, I suppose. And where we are at the moment is we're on town post, trying to organise the payments for pensioners and for all the rest of the services that are lost this morning down in Middleton. But um, at the moment, I suppose they're looking at transferring pensions and that to the Castle Martyr and Carrick too. Post offices, but as you know now, you're in the current climate. This mightn't be that suitable with travelling for pensioners and for people on buses with social distancing. So, look, it's a bit of a mess at the moment. But the main thing is that nobody was hurt. Yeah, yeah. It broke out in the in the middle of the night, and the fire brigade seemed to have done their level best <laughs> to to save. Uh, That's right. Yeah, the adjacent businesses, but the post office, like this, isn't this wasn't actually in the post office, was it, Mary? No, it seems to be from the back, from somewhere around the back. I'm not too sure of the the, the exact details, okay. PJ, you know, but it, it, the building itself is destroyed anyway, and I'm, so, I'm sure you saw yourself on social media. Yeah. It was, it was a blaze. It was, was fairly bad. It's just awful, awful. Yeah, it's just It's terrible. strange, isn't it, that a town with the size of a population that Middleton does w- would only have the one post office? Yes, I thought that myself, to be honest, because the population of Middleton is around 15,000, and I would have thought they'd have two. As you were telling me earlier, there's two in Cove. Now, you all a smaller population, we have only one as well. But um, certainly it is strange, all right. Um, but look, it's just this morning now, I'm just trying to... I've been on town post this morning, and so I have a lot of... I was talking to Pat Buckley there earlier, because I'm going to try and get up there myself um, in the next few hours, but I have another function in you all right. at 11. Um, so I'm going to try and get up after that. But um, it's just trying to get the services diverted now and trying to get people, you know, their payments and everything like that, BJ. That's the most important thing that we're trying to sort out at the moment, you know. How are the family affected by this? Um, look, I'm not too sure. I haven't spoken with the family. Um, we haven't spoken to anybody, but the Moran family, um, as we all know in Middleton, are the family that are involved. And look, as I said, once nobody's hurt, it's really the yeah, main thing. Yeah, indeed, yeah. indeed. All right, here's hoping. Well, if you do manage to get any update on where the pensions and stuff can be collected over the next couple of days, uh, please do let us know and we'll be happy to pass it on. Thank you, PJ. And just to mention, to thank you to the fire services, as always, yes, you know, as always. for their chosen work. We'd be lost without them, you know. As, as, as yes. we say, they run in when the rest of us are running out. Now you said it. Now you said it. Thank you so much, PJ. Cheers. Pleasure. That's uh, County Mayor, uh, Councillor Mary Lenehan Foley. So the post office in Middleton will be out of commission for the foreseeable and they're going to do the best they can to transfer any kind of social welfare payments and services to whatever other post offices they can get. Castle Martyr and Carrie Tool are the nearest ones, but that's not really an ideal solution. Could there be another temporary post office opened in Middleton? What, what will happen? We do not know. But for now, thankfully the Morans who run it, everyone's okay and all of that, but the post office in Middleton out of commission for the foreseeable because of that overnight fire. 1850 Good morning, PJ. Yesterday we went to a restaurant for early lunch. We were there 12.30 to 1.30. 
There were approximately 75% of the people wearing masks, 25% not. I brought this to the attention of a nice employee. She said, they just don't seem to get it. There was music blaring. I'm probably my age, it was too loud. But really, it should have been announced, say, every hour that mask wearing was mandatory. The distancing of tables was perfect, but tables were wiped down afterwards, not disinfected. Uh... Please do not read out my name, but feel free to contact me if necessary. Well, we don't need to read out your name. The thing about wearing a mask in a restaurant, and we might say, well, why would I wear a mask when I'm eating my dinner? In Spain and many other countries, you, you don't have to wear the mask, obviously, while you're sitting tucking into your toast, toasty special and chips. You, you don't have to wear the mask. But if you get up to go to the loo, you certainly do have to wear the mask. And when you're going in before your table is presented to you, you're brought to your table, you have to wear them then. And when you get up to leave, you have to wear the mask then. Obviously, you can don't have to have the mask on when you're eating, like. 1850-715-996, that's how it is across Europe. But then, that's how it is across Europe. Yesterday, I was telling you that in, in the boulevards of Paris now, there's a €140 Euro fine if you're spotted walking down, for argument's sake, the Champs-Élysées, or walking up by the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier by the Arc de Triomphe. If you're spotted... Or outside Galleries Lafayette, that big supermarket, or walking around down by the Pompidou Centre in Paris. If you're spotted in the street without a mask by the gendarmerie, 140 euro, please. We still don't seem to have the statutory instrument published that would make it mandatory from Monday to wear a super, to wear a, a face mask in the supermarket. Why, oh why, oh why are we always so far behind? 1850-715-996 to Lebanon next. The Opinion Line on Courts 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette, now at the Junction Vickers Road. Open every day to save you time and money. Selfservicelaundry.ie A mother of three whose bitter ex-boyfriend gave out her phone number as part of a Chewbacca roar contest prank. He puts her phone number on posters all across the town and says, to win a hundred quid, ring this number and do your best impression of Chewbacca <laughs> from Star Wars. <laughs> so have a listen. Well, I'm getting phone calls at really strange hours of the night. <laughs> 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 Casey and Ross in the morning. Could you be Ireland's next new millionaire? One million euro will be won in Ireland this Friday with the Euro Millions Ireland Only Raffle. Play Euro Millions on Friday 14th of August to be in with your chance to win a guaranteed one million euro. Play responsibly in-store, in-app or online. The National Lottery. It could be you. That's the sound of sausages sizzling on Emma's new Siemens induction hob from Harvey Norman. She bought at the great price of 369, saving 240 euro. At Harvey Norman, with the best prices and best deals on cooking appliances, like the Whirlpool induction hob, now only 299. And get a set of pots and pans worth 129 euro absolutely free when bought with either of these hobs. Shop online today or safely in our spacious stores. Harvey Norman, your cooking specialists. 30 days hath September, but before we get there, please remember, for all 31 days of August, we're giving you a head start on September's 2% VAT reduction across Skoda's entire range. Why wait when you can visit your local dealer today? Terms and conditions apply. 
visit skoda.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 On Cork's 96FM. Beirut is the capital of Lebanon and home to two million people. It's an ancient city, scarred by war, but vibrant, welcoming and full of life. Over the decades, it's suffered so much, but no single event as bad as this. This is the epicentre, a warehouse in Beirut's port where the disaster began with a fire. Inside, unbeknownst to most of Beirut, were nearly 3,000 tonnes of the fertiliser ammonium nitrate, and they weren't being safely stored. When that exploded, it looked like a mushroom cloud and felt like an earthquake. As the shockwaves radiated out, boats were blown out of the water. Grain stores on which this country relies were destroyed. And the firefighters who'd rushed in when the fire first broke out really didn't stand a chance. Jamezi, with its historic buildings, is a popular neighbourhood known for its cafes and nightlife. Many of the buildings here have balconies that overlook the port of Beirut. So people would have been standing on their balconies or near their windows, stretching their necks to catch a glimpse of the fire when the blast struck. If you were here when this happened, where you were standing would have made the difference between life and death, between a superficial or a very serious injury. It's a harrowing uh, BBC report, just the audio track from a harrowing BBC report on the Beirut bomb, which was a week ago. It was on the 4th of August, about 200 people dead, including many firefighters and emergency service workers that went to help, and about 5,000 people on the injured list. Half the hospitals in the city were either overwhelmed or or damaged beyond repair. Uh, And the city of Beirut, a place I was actually in in 1999, it's a lovely city, it really is a lovely city city and and it's been devastated by this now tara tara you you're a television presenter on lebanese mtv good morning good morning pj how are you good good to talk to you, you uh, do, do you live in the area or or you're obviously a frequent visitor to beirut yes frequent visitor to beirut and i have tv slots on mtv yeah. Tell me a bit about the city i was there myself as i said many years ago but it is a vibrant and, and, and thriving city now it's so vibrant, it's so cultural, it's so diverse, and the people are just so amazing, so amazingly welcome, welcoming to any... There's so many Irish over there as well, by the way, yeah, in the that. army. But yes, it's a beautiful, beautiful city. So what has happened is beyond devastating. This was a, like effectively a 3,000-ton bomb that yeah. went off in the, in, in the port. And, and someone made an analogy... I don't know what part of the country of Ireland you're from, Tara. Galway. You're from Galway. Galway. So if this went off in the port in Galway, it would Uh have broken windows in in, um, Athenry, practically. More than likely. You know, um, my friends live in Cyprus, and they heard it and saw it in Cyprus. Get away. And how far is that across the water? I'm really not good at geography. Okay. It's, it's, it's a good distance anyway. It's a, it's yeah, a good distance. it's far, it's far. So, and people that live in the mountains in Lebanon, they actually heard the vibrations. So I think that there's actually no words to describe how crazy it is and the devastation. Yeah, there was one particularly scary video of, of a young doctor based mm-hmm. in America who'd come home 
to Beirut for her wedding and she was having her photographs taken in her dress and all of her yes. finery. Yes. And my God, it, it, literally, as they were taking photographs, the, the, the huge blast came. They were just, they were lucky they weren't all killed. I know, you know, um, the amount of people I speak to every day, I wake up every single day with so many messages because people are just, there's so many people homeless, they have no food, but a huge problem is going to be PTSD. People are not sleeping, they're waking up with nightmares, you know, it's going to have a huge effect on mental health as well. Yeah, and there's... An appeal gone out now for international aid for the people of Beirut because apart mm-hmm. from that, I think that, that BBC report mentions it, grain silos were, were blown away by this and, and grain and cereals are a huge part of the Lebanese economy. Yes. Yeah. So people are looking for, looking for, for, mm-hmm. for assistance now. But yeah, we just need, you know, basics at the moment. There's so many groups that I'm part of in Lebanon that are rebuilding parts of Jamezi that they referred to in that report. Mm. Um, so they've gone in, they're taking out the glass from homes, they're actually recycling the glass. But there's groups of architects, engineers, civil engineers from all around the world that are offering their help to rebuild certain areas of Jamezi yeah. and of Beirut in general. Yeah, Jamezi would be a, a really upmarket area, it's a beautiful part of, of yeah, of the that's city. where I literally hang out every single night when I'm in Lebanon. It's party town can can be party town, can't it? It's party town central. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and as well as that, speaking of party town and things we're not allowed. Of course, on top of all of this disaster and human misery, they've got to cope with with the pandemic. COVID, as well. yeah. yeah. Imagine it's like it's a living nightmare. It's so surreal. You know, you you just look at pictures. And you cannot comprehend that it's real. It's like a war. It's basically worse than a war zone, and it's worse than any horror movie that you would ever watch. You couldn't possibly imagine it. There's a, no. a clip I saw of a, of a ship, literally a decent-sized ship, lifted out of the water and blown onto its side. It really is. Yeah. Really, it really is frightening. So there, Tara. Let's bring in Dr. Mohammed Sab, a lecturer in UCC. Uh, you're here, Mohammed. I think since 2014. Um, hopefully, all of those that you know and love are, are safe and well in the Beirut area. Good morning. Good morning, PJ and Tara. Um, yes, indeed. I grew up in Beirut and I moved uh, to Ireland in 2014. Um, so yeah, and I was, it happened that I was in Beirut four days before the explosion. My parents dropped me to the airport through that road. Um, and it just still, still feels unreal, still feels surreal, really. Yeah, yeah. Your, your sister's house, I think, was, was badly damaged, was it? Yes. Um, so she lives quite close to the port and the, uh, windows and the window frames went flying in, basically injuring her. Uh, her son. So my nephew got multiple injuries. Um, he's on uh, the road to recovery. Uh, thankfully, they were minor, but there were several injuries uh, all over his body with stitches and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's quite close to home. It's really. The political situation in, in Lebanon, Mohammed, is, is difficult to say the least. Um, my understanding about this um, stash of ammonium nitrate is that it was confiscated off a, a ship in 2013 and put into this warehouse and left there and, and people are blaming government inaction on that and many other things. How long do we have, BJ? 
Yeah. I can speak to you about it. We have as long tomorrow. as you need, Mohammed. You go we ahead. We need a week. Mm. A week. Mm. Oh, my God. Look, um, all views are my own, definitely. Yes, but probably would, would reflect the anger that the Lebanese people are currently experiencing. Our government is one of the most corrupt governments on earth, uh, which is quite heartbreaking. So uh, absolutely, the current government who just resigned, um, which is probably to be the same without them anyway, um, knew about this, uh, the stored uh, ammonium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Nitrate fertilizer since 2014. Yeah. And they've been stored and poorly handled. So the primary reason or the primary cause of the explosion is, is ammonium nitrate, although an official cause has yet to be announced. So yeah. we're eight days in and we don't know the exact cause of, of what made these uh, stores uh, go on fire. Um, so, yeah, I think whoever is government now, um, from president down, is to be blamed really for, for uh, ignoring or just, you know, disregarding the dangers that we had. They had highly explosive material stored next to grain silos that had been like a great source of economy since the 1970. Uh, the government of Kuwait helped build these silos in the 60s and it was open in 1970. And many people worked in these silos and a lot of those who died were inside the silos and their bodies were recovered many days later. So again, the government's response was quite slow. Um, to helping recover bodies, etc. Um, and we had many troops coming from Holland, uh, Paris. Uh, I don't want to, to forget uh, many countries came to help and Russia. Yeah. And again, but the help was quite late. Um, some of the people who worked in the silos were still alive under the rubble and they were texting their families. Oh, God. Two days later, they found them dead. Oh, no. Yeah. So it's quiet. It's it's the government is to be blamed for perhaps one hundred percent of this. Yeah, well, if they left it sitting there, and and uh, apart from anything else, when this stuff gets damp through winter rain or anything like that, it forms a large block, which effectively is an explosive lump, mm-hmm. just a big three thousand pound or three thousand ton bomb sitting in a building and and they knew about it Tara that's yeah, that's sickening that's sickening and they, and they did nothing about it unfortunately not said, yeah, go ahead sorry as yeah. Mo said the government is just like I, I don't want to turn this into a government bashing session but the government is so corrupt in Lebanon even yesterday in the rubble of the bomb site people were finding stored medicines that the government, like the government take, uh, they've been, this is why we want people to know that it's best to support the Lebanese Red Cross because a lot of the funds don't actually get to the people if they're sent via the government. Right. Okay. But yes. 
They're now, very corrupt. There's a, obviously, like you said, Tara, and, and, and more you said the same, there's a lot of Irish people uh, live in, in Beirut, live mm-hmm. in, in Lebanon. And of course, we have a great affection for Lebanon uh, as a country because of the long and close connection between our military and, and, yes, south, and south Lebanon. And that, in fact, was how I got to visit Beirut on the one occasion I was there. And I swore I'd get back, but I, I never did. Uh, oh, and that's, really? Yeah, that's why I know it's such a, such a beautiful, beautiful city. Uh, yeah. I, I spent two days there. I just walked uh, along the seafront. Beautiful place. But, but the, 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 Irish has, the Irish people, we have great affection for, for Lebanon. So, so how can we help now? Well, from oh, my uh, side, Mo, you go. Actually, yeah, you I'm going to let Mo go ahead on this one, okay. and then I'll follow up after. Go ahead, Mo. Thank you, Tara. Perfect. So, as Tara said, um, the best way to help is not through the government, because um, a lot of help came to Lebanon over the years, and a lot of it did not reach the people because of um, governmental internal politics. So the best way to help, and again, as Tara said, the Red Cross in Lebanon is, is a great uh, is, is a great organization to help. It's very independent. It's responding all the time, and it was the first one of the first organizations uh, to to rescue um, as well. So I can make the link available. It's redcross.org.lb. Yeah. Send, send that um, to us and we will definitely share it on our social channels. So. I'll, I'll do that, definitely. And there were hospitals as well that were destroyed around the area. One of them is the St. George University Hospital, which has 400 beds. And now the hospital is no longer functioning. So, um, and, and they lost a number of their nurses as well in the, in, the, in, the, in the explosion. And I'm a nurse myself, so it's very dear to my heart. Of course. Um, so that's another probably hospital. Again, it's non-governmental uh, university hospital that is worth uh, uh, donating to. It's completely destroyed, and the 400 patients who were occupying beds there were distributed into yeah. other uh, hospitals there in the area again. There was a video on BBC of a man whose wife was in labour. Giving birth, uh, yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. and they subsequently, called, miraculously, everybody was okay. Yeah. Uh, the child has been called George afterwards, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and I think they, she delivered over the light of her husband's cell phone because the electricity went. And there was no like epidural or any medications available. So it was a natural delivery. It was yeah, it was all filmed and documented. Um, so again, St George Hospital is another is another one, and a third maybe and last one. There are many, but Médecins mm. Sans Frontières or Doctors Without Borders yeah, yeah. is another organization that is offering psychological support. And Tara also mentioned that in terms of the big emotional trauma. I know thousands of people lost their homes. 220 dead, 5,000 injured. So you can imagine the amount of psychological support that the people would need at this point. So doctorswithoutborders.org is another uh, organization that is still uh, independent and uh, people can donate to all these the three, so redcross.org.lb, stgeorgehospital.org, so stgeorgehospital.org, and doctorswithoutborders.org. You can donate online via these uh, uh, websites as well. Yeah, And I know, look, people have many demands on their finances at the moment because mm-hmm. of this pandemic. It's, it's, it's cut, cut the income of, of tens of thousands of people, but it's whatever you can afford, Tara, isn't it? Anything, anything, anything helps. You know, it's even before this happened, by the way, the economy was, it was a disaster in Lebanon and no one could access their funds in the bank. 
You were only allowed to withdraw. What is it, Mo? Like $200 a week maximum or something? Oh, it dropped to $50 a week on some banks. Yeah. Doing like $100 a month. And, you know, we use U.S. dollars along with the Lebanese pound. So they're both our our currencies in Lebanon. So the, the, the currency, as Tara said, lost seven to eight times its value. And that was before this explosion. So imagine mm. what this explosion will add. So to, to honestly, there's no major, like there's no point to send cash into bank accounts because people can't withdraw it. So uh, it's best to send it to these. These are the the three organizations that Mo and I have chosen as the the ones that we believe in. Well, we've shared some links already on, on Twitter and hopefully our, our, so list, our listeners will, re, will reshare them to try to get something in there. But do not give directly to the government because people will, no. will not see it. Give to the Red Cross, give to St. George's. Uh, yes. And the third one was again, remind me. Doctors, Doctors without, without borders. borders. Okay. Listen, yeah. uh, thank you both. For, for thank you so much for not giving a, us this platform. Not thank at all. Tara, Tara Sillery and Dr. Mosab uh, from UCC. Tara is uh, a present, presenter on Lebanese MTV and from Galway. 1850-715-996. Thank, thank you both. It's just, it's just devastating. And I've, have a look at the BBC website in particular, uh, the videos of what happened and the devastation of what happened. And to give you the idea of the size of it, you, first of all, thanks to the people who remind us that it's generally in or around, we think about 150 miles from Cyprus, uh, from Limassol and Cyprus to uh, Beirut. Thank you, as the crow flies, as they say. So imagine this thing going off, blowing up in the port of Cork. So imagine, God forbid that I may be struck down for ever even thinking it. Imagine something that size blows up down in the port of Cork. You're talking about that sound being heard or those vibrations being heard in the Midlands. And you're talking about windows being broken in McCroom. That's the size of that explosion. 1857-15996. We've shared all, all the links. Oh, hello to Declan Carey, chairman of Cork City Football Club. We had Declan on yesterday talking about uh, various aspects of, of their season and, and how it has or has not been going and how some of the young, young players at uh, City were getting some very nasty abuse on social media. But last night, maybe we were a good omen. Maybe we were. They went off and they won their match for the 121st minute winner, an extra time winner from one of the academy graduates uh, in the in the cup. Hope City fans can keep the faith now and help drive the lads on for the remaining weeks of the season. Uh, delighted for I heard that result last night. I was delighted for them. That's Declan Carey, the chairman of Cork City Football Club. 1850-715-996. You never guess what's back in the news, lads. Well, you will, I suppose, because it comes up every couple of weeks. Someone mentions the event centre. Next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Junction, Vickers Road, Supermarket, Solid Fuel Depot and a self-service laundrette. Your one stop for everything. 
Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Cork songwriter Jack O'Rourke is set to play a live performance this Friday evening at Triscoll Christchurch. The show takes place at 8pm on Friday night with very limited tickets only available from the venue's website. The Kino on Washington Street has reopened with a healthy schedule of Irish artists playing over the remainder of the summer. The Kino's Cafe is also open and there's limited capacity for the upcoming shows due to social distancing restrictions, so early booking with the venue is advised. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 On Cork's 96 FM. See where Irish Defence Force veterans have set up a GoFundMe page to help the people of Lebanon. That's great. I wasn't. At, I'm not at all surprised to see that because so many uh, Irish Defence Force personnel, past and present, have spent time in Lebanon and spent six months there at a time and often spent several uh, tours of duty. Many of them learned local languages and made local friends and and all of that. I went back there afterwards for holidays and, and, and just spending time. So there will be a, a GoFundMe page. We're going to tweet the link. A GoFundMe page uh, to help the people of Lebanon. Fund raised, well, funds raised will be given to the Red Cross uh, to hand over to the Irish Red Cross to hand over to their comrades in Lebanon. 1850-715-996. Now the Taoiseach has been urged to keep the Cork Event Centre project alive amid fears that fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic now threatens the entire scheme. Uh, Global entertainment company Live Nation, which was to run the centre, has seen its revenues plummet by 98% due to the pandemic. Look, live concerts of every description cancelled around the world. Do you see that new idea for a concert in Newcastle last night? It's in the papers today. 500 little pods set up to watch a concert. Not sure if it would be for me. Although to be kind of civilised, no pushing and shoving and you still get to see the gig. But I don't know if that's the future. But anyway, that that that's a by the by. Now Live Nation hasn't been responding to queries from the examiner. Um, Own English and Party Corps were asking if it was still committed to the event centre on the old Beamish and Crawford site. But... No response and people are getting very worried now. Former Lord Mayor Mick Finn. Mick, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. I mean, you know what? After all the the debacle of the last four or five years with regard to the event centre, Live Nation might be only looking for an excuse to pull out now. Yeah, look, it's a bit like uh, Brigadoon, I suppose. You know, we, we, we're so close to it sometimes and then it's, it's uh, circumstances change. You know, this has been a, a kind of a long and winding road, uh, I'd say over 10 years really. Uh, since I first got involved in council, uh, this issue, you know, was on the table, and it still is, and it still hasn't been resolved. And I think, you know, the whole the, it was in the context of the Live Nation like, fall in revenues, um, and I suppose the fact uh, that many people still retained their tickets, they didn't look for refunds for events that were planned. Uh, that's what the examiner contacted me for, you know, a comment on the Cork, um, I suppose, the fall around the Cork Event Centre, and you know, it's, it is very worrying. 
Uh, this was something that we always felt uh, was needed for the city, for the region. Um, and, you know, in the current climate, you'd have to wonder, you know, what, what are Live Nation thinking? You know, as you say, they haven't been responding. Um, myself and a number of other councillors uh, asked a question at the last meeting of council, you know, as to what the situation was. And the CEO Doherty has said that she's going to come back with a report in September. But yeah. up to now, it's a case of that all parties are still fully committed to it. Um, but, you know, you'd have to look at, at the drop in revenue for Live Nation. You know, they were something like, uh, you know, half a billion profits last year got yeah. to a, a loss in the first quarter. And it's in that context you'd have to be very uh, worried about it. Yeah, their, their, their gaffer, a man called Michael Rapino, said he expects live events to return at scale in the summer of 2021. We'd all hope against hope that that can happen but he said the company's top priority usual corporate speak strengthening our financial position but they didn't answer a query from the examiner as to whether they were uh, committed if they were to walk Mick should the whole place is gone yeah look that is a worry um, I mean I, I think going back to the first bit um, you know you would hope that that following COVID and once things could have get back to normality uh, that people will be uh, there will be a huge need for people to go to concerts, go to events. I mean, you, you look at our own opera house at the Everyman, um, you know, Live to Marquee, you, you know, events in Dublin have all been cancelled or postponed. Um, but, and the fact that people can't go out and enjoy themselves and go to concerts or events means that, you know, when they can, there will be a big demand for it. So that's what you would hold out there as a hope uh, that this will will still go. But, you know, it's just in a, in a huge state of crux at the moment and things are changing so quickly, um, you know, between crowds and events and the numbers allowed at things. Um, you'd have to be very concerned at, at present. Uh, if you were, to, if you were to, to say no, would it go ahead? You'd have to be very doubtful, but you have to maybe, we'd have to project ourselves a year into... Uh, a year out from now and to say that um, you know things will return to normality and that that big question then is you know will the event centre in Cork be a priority for Live Nation and for BAM Now now Live Nation with with the rest of respect to the examiner Live Nation may not answer a query from the media that that's that is their their prerogative as it were but I'm sure if a question were put to them by the chief executive of Cork City Council uh, as to whether they remain committed, they'd, they'd kind of have to answer, wouldn't they? Well, like that's that's what, um, I presumably what the update in September will be for us. I mean, we have asked that question both of Live Nation and of BAM, who are obviously the the, the local lead in terms of developing this project. Um, and I think that's where the Taoiseach um, maybe needs to step in here as well. You know, it's in it's in his own constituency. We have the Taoiseach, we have the Minister for Public Expenditure, uh, and we have the Minister for Foreign Affairs. So, like, we have three heavy hitters in Cork, and I think that they need to keep this on the agenda. It's been going on, as you say, it's been dragging on for a long time. Um, but we need to keep it on the radar and, and to ensure that when things return to normality, that Cork is not forgotten. All right, leave it there. That's, that's former Lord Mayor, Councillor Mick Finn. Uh, the event centre, a lot of people believe it'll never get off the ground now. Uh, message there, the event centre was never going to go ahead in the first place. But if, if Live Nation walk, then you basically just have a building site and a plan. And what do you do with it? ETA can't understand what the story is with Nive Nation and all this hassle. The Donoghue family in the INEC went to court with the government over BAM getting 50 million after winning the tender. The Donoghues weren't aware of that money being handed out when they made their tender. 
Why can't they now be left to take over and just finish it? Half of Cork City go to the INEC, INEC for their gigs. Anyway, you're not wrong. There's a lot of people go down to the INEC quite frequently for gigs. And a great place it is too. On Lebanon. Uh, hi PJ, great interview. Thank you so much for raising this. The people need our help. I've donated, but I'd like to make a contribution to an animal welfare charity too. Can you please help me to find out who to contribute to? Thank you from Rose. Back in the start of the year when we were gearing up for the general election, as part of the coverage of the campaign, we talked directly with people affected by the issues in the campaign. One of them was um, was carers and one of them was, you know, parents caring for very sick uh, little kids. And one of those parents was Brenda. Brenda, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. How's Fionn? Um, he's just after two desperate days, actually, unfortunately, but um, he's starting to come out of it now today. He's not screaming today, so he's starting to come around again, thank God. Rem- remind people again uh, what Fionn's problems are. Uh, so Fionn is six now, actually. We celebrated his sixth birthday on the 6th of August. We, um, he's been six since he was born. He had a, a horrendous birth and a horrendous first two years, and we were told he wouldn't actually see two years. So he's doing really well. They told us he, you know, he would never eat by the mouth, he would never do this, he was blind, he can't actually sit up at the moment yet or walk or talk Um, he's 24 hour care he gets his liquids by a peg tube into the stomach but thanks to physiotherapy, intensive private physiotherapy and a lot of private therapies, he's eating spoon feeds by the mouth, pureed spoon feeds. Oh, um, yeah, and he's, he, you know, he's getting stronger. His trunk and his core is getting stronger. It's very, very slow. But, you know, he is so strong and the doctors are continuously saying that, you know, whatever you're doing, keep doing it because something is keeping this little boy alive and he's healthy. He has so many difficulties we'll say, you know, as in that he can't walk and talk, but he's growing and he's putting on weight and he's healthy in that That's regard, brilliant. you know, like... But you know, there, there, there's very little medicine can can do better than the determination of a loving mummy and daddy, you know that, don't you? Ah, uh, yeah, honest to God, yeah. You know, we just, we believed in him, we saw his little face and he's so determined and everything the doctor said, you know, we said no... It, that can't be right. Fiona is going to make his own path in life and he will do what he can do and he just proves them wrong and wrong and wrong and he's still here and he's still fighting and he's getting lovely days. He is getting some wonderful days now. Yeah. You know, at the start he was screaming all the time yeah. but now we're getting days where he's so happy and, you know, looking around and really alert and he's not actually blind so he can see us. Um, and and yeah. on a day like today when we've got such a beautiful August day, does he is he able to appreciate the sun on his face, that kind of thing? Um, well, because his eyes are sensitive, the sun, he doesn't enjoy the sun in his eyes right. much. Um, but he does enjoy being outside. Nice and warm dur- day, yeah. yeah, 
during the summer now. He loves being outside. We have a swing for him. And I recently purchased a special needs three-wheel buggy for him so I can walk around the roads here where we live. Um, it's very mountainous and there's a hill here. So I had to get a special buggy. But he loves being out in that and the legs. You, I can, you know, see his legs, in, you know, up and down going in, in the buggy. So he's enjoying it and his hands are going and the head, he's looking left and right. And he just loves being out in the fresh air. He really does. That must have made it very disappointing then that you had to cancel the, the event in Donnerail that you were planning <laughs> Oh my God, yeah, we were devastated because last year, Dee will tell you now, she attended with her parents and just, it was actually magical. So many people came and turned out for Fionn and they donated. Everyone was so generous, you know, it, that money actually went towards his wheelchair, if you remember. Um Yeah, and, you know, the love that was there on the day, like we had a small meeting out here in the garden with the committee members and we were just talking about the feeling and the love that was there on that day and everyone, you know, wanting to meet Fionn and see him and, you know, asking questions about him. And, it, you know, it's just fabulous to get support like that when we don't get it from where we're supposed to get it. Yeah. But the love and the support from the people in the community and surrounding areas, I tell you. Are, are you still just, having to, to, to fund everything yourselves and pay for everything yourselves? Yeah, yeah, most things, yeah, yeah. It's... it's um. It's hard going, but people are very generous. Yeah. Thanks very much. Man at the door. Uh. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you. Thanks very much. Um, but we are, yeah, you know, there's there's waiting lists for everything and it's crazy, you know, you're just a number on a list and no matter how badly you need an item or how much benefit it will do for the child, you're still just a list, you're a box to be ticked. You're fighting all the time, sending emails, ringing people and, you know, the COVID is a very convenient excuse for an awful lot of things, unfortunately, you yeah. know. The last time we talked, no one had ever heard of COVID-19. How did that impact life, let alone fundraising? Oh, my God. Well, you know, it has to be said that families like ours, we're isolating. Me and Fiona are isolating since he was born, really. So the isolation part is not a huge change for families like ours. We're used to being stuck inside and not being able to travel out with our sick kids. You know, the, the regular flu was enough of a threat for us than ever before the COVID came. So, you know, we can sort of, you know, it's not right and it's not nice and we don't like it. But we, I think, probably have adapted a little bit better to this kind of isolation. But as regards our schools being closed, any therapies that we were going to, you know, we can't go to them now. We're respite is gone. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's horrendous. The pressure that's on family carers now at the moment, it's really, really hard at the moment. And we're doing our best. And, hard you know, we're the all, best of times, but it's worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're also concerned and worried about school in September. And, you know, if, if if things aren't laid on right, our little kids, they won't be going. And that's the holy all of it. You know, our, we will be protecting our little ones as best we can, no matter what the government say is in place or think is in place. Do you trust, if, do you you trust them to get it right? No, unfortunately I don't. Um, I trust Fionn's school actually. They're a fantastic, he goes to a fantastic school and they do the best they can with everything down there. I do trust them. But you know, if, if the guidelines aren't coming from higher up that are correct. What can they do? 
what can they do? All right. Well, listen, I know that the GoFundMe is open and it's Fight for Fionn. Uh, to make up yeah. for the fact that you couldn't have the fundraiser for his birthday yeah. in, in Will. Uh, yeah. our, our best to you and the family and, and our love to Fionn. Thank you so much. Thanks a million. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. 96FM, Vic. 96FM, you left a bit out. <laughs> Thanks. 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp. 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Don't forget our Twitter is at OpinionLine96. The hashtag to follow, hashtag OL96. If you want to get us through Facebook, the Cork's 96FM Facebook page is your go-to. And then mark your messages for the attention of the opinion line. Makes us makes it easier for us to uh, to suss them out from the many hundreds of messages we get every day. <laughs> On the subject of the proc, the proc slanger forum, which is down. How will we know if anyone goes bang now? Give me another phone. I know, I know, I know, I know. Nah, they'll fix it. I've no doubt. They'll fix it, and we'll be back to reading the uh, pleasantries and the abuse that we get uh, day in day out. Tis a bit of crack. 1857-15996. On face masks, can you remind people not to wear them under their nose and in queues outdoors, a sneeze or a cough can travel even outdoors? Well, wearing them under your nose is just stupid anyway. <laughs> it's supposed to go up over your nose. I know it's not easy. I know it fogs up your glasses and all of that, or can fog up your glasses. But wearing the mask with a bit of it under your nose and your two nostrils poking out, like it's it's absolutely useless. Useless. It's it's basically like cutting a hole in the condom before you have sex. There's no point in wearing it that way. And the other thing is, there's no point in wearing it as a chin strap either. Either wear it or don't wear it, but wear it in a shop, wear it in a shopping centre, wear it in an office, wear it anywhere that you go where they ask you to wear it. Don't wait to be asked. And I would be all for shops, all for shops saying no mask, no entry. I'd be all for it. I don't know if anyone's actually... Well, we know that Joan in Vibes and Scribes did it a few weeks ago or she asked people to wear a mask and then if they didn't have one, to buy one in the shop and she got it on social media. Well, if anybody wants to put up a no mask, no entry sign, that's okay with me. Certainly is. 1850-715-996. Now, Ben, Ben Royal... Ben, when I read about your accident, um, I, I have to say it's 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 not often that I go, oh God, oh the very thought of it. You had a farming accident fourteen years ago. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, PJ. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Um, farming accident involving a PTO shaft. Now, a PTO shaft. Any of us who have ever been on a farm might know what that is. But that's that little shaft, isn't it? That goes from the back of the tractor, say, to the baler or to anything else. It's it's a it's 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 like a long pipe. Yes, it's like a long pipe that trans transfer power from the tractor to an implement behind. It's a rotating shaft. Mm. Is what it is. Now, it's usually covered. But of course, yes. it's ro- ro- rotating like bilio inside. Yeah, anywhere from 540 revs per minute up to 1,000 revs a minute. What happened to you in January 2006? What happened to me, January, was I was operating a vacuum tanker. 
and it was an old tanker where the cover on the vacuum pump was of an old type and it wasn't su- sufficient. And the corner of my cot of my coat got caught in underneath that cover on the vacuum pump side and I got pulled down into the machine and the tractor stalled because I physically couldn't fit between the PTO shaft and the drawbar. I don't know how the tractor stalled because normally if people get caught in the PTO shaft, it's curtains, it's all over. Like it literally sucked your arm into itself. Pulled me down into it and my coat was wrapped around the shaft um, and it dislocated my shoulder. Um, I didn't break any bones, thankfully, but it dislocated my shoulder and tore my shoulder and tore the arteries and veins going out to my arm. Um, But it didn't sever the nervous system going down my arm. How long did this damage take to happen, Ben? Oh, this was seconds, milliseconds. You know, you're talking about a shaft that's going at such a speed. It was just happened so, so fast. And going with enough turning power, enough torque to to drive a machine. So we're talking a savagely powerful piece of equipment here. Yeah, we're talking, there was a tractor in the front of that, 130 horsepower. And that's a a strong tractor. Um, My my, my grandfather grandfather and and, and his brother, God rest them both, farmed a bit. So, So I've seen these things. Uh, driving machinery and and the, the thoughts of getting caught in it, my God! Yeah, look, it, it was um, it's everybody's worst nightmare, really. When I've heard of people and I've heard of people that were killed, and I know people that were killed in the same type of accident involving PTO shafts. But look, thankfully, whatever happened that Monday morning, I didn't get killed, mm. and um, you were I able to get to your phone. Side. I always carrying my phone in the breast pocket of my shirt. And that's what saved my life. If I didn't have that phone there, I wouldn't have been able to make the life-saving call for help to come. If if my phone was left, as a lot of farmers do, they leave it in the Jeep, they leave it up on the tractor. It's no good up there because you won't be able to get to it if you're involved in an accident, even if you break a leg or something, you won't be able to reach it. You need to have the phone on your body. You rang your brother, I think. Yes, I rang my brother, Robert. Um, he has a farm machinery business over the road. And himself and his son came into the yard um, as, as soon as they could. And while they were coming over the road, they also rang for the ambulance and that to arrive. Um, in the meantime, once I had the phone call made to him, I had got myself untangled from the machine. How and did I you walked. do that? The, 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 tractor, the tractor stalled, miraculously. Yes, the tractor stalled, so I was able to wind the shaft, the PTO shaft back, unwind my my coat off the shaft, and I was able to get myself away from the machine. And I got up. I was dazed and stuff like that, but I was there. But I got myself up, and I carried my arm with my... My left arm was the injured arm, so I carried it with my right hand, and I walked up across the yard. And once Robert and Trevor came into the yard... I collapsed down in on the concrete Imagine. and there I think I say was carried, the whole lot. When you say carried, this had done so much damage, your arm was literally hanging useless. Yes, Power, powerless. I had no use whatsoever in my left hand at that point. And when I was lying in the yard, I could see my arm was down straight by my side. 
but my brain was telling me my arm was lying across my chest. Right. And it was all due to the nerve damage that was done going down the arm. My brain thought my arm was one place, but my arm was actually physically in another place. Pain? Pain was unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. That's all I can say. I, I was under savage pain um, at that time, but I was talking to Roberts and Trevor and stuff through the whole lot. And next thing, the, um, the rapid response unit, which was not long after being formed, yeah. were the first into the yard and in the ambulance after them. They stabilized me while I was on the ground and they got everything, you know, right. And I was there for, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes, half an hour stabilizing the situation because yeah. I was bleeding and stuff. And those, those and rapid response people are phenomenal. Superb. Absolutely superb. Even one of the guys that came out on that call out came up to visit me when I was in CUH afterwards to see how I was after doing, and like it, that was really nice, you know. Now, now you, um, you never got. I don't. Did you? How much of the use of your arm have you gotten back, and how long did it take? It took. It was really a two-year recovery. Um, the first six months, I had no movement whatsoever in my left arm from my shoulder down, it was just hanging, limp, swinging, right? I, if I wanted to, I had to lift my arm everywhere if I wanted to put it on a table or anything. I had no use of it. After six months, I started to gain little bits of movement. I did a lot of physio at least three days a week and some four days a week going into CUH. And in the hydro pool was where I first got some movement coming back into my arm. And after that, it started coming down to my hand. I have fairly good use of my arm. Um, There's some movements I can't do. I haven't got a full twist on my wrist and stuff like that. Um, The muscles aren't as good as they are on my my right arm. There's some of the muscles gone and wasted. But my hand is the limiting factor. Um, I can't spread my fingers. I can make a clasp of my hand. I can make a fist sort of of my hand. Right. But I can't spread my fingers and stuff. The cold affects it an awful lot. I say so. Can you do something simple like stir a cup of tea or put sugar in your tea or something? Not with my left hand. No. Right. If I went to put a, a spoon of sugar into a cup of tea, the sugar wouldn't end up in the cup. Right. I haven't got a twist. I haven't got that movement of my, in in my in my wrist to be able to keep it you know, yeah. and what if I'm carrying something in my left hand, if I'm walking or something, I have to be very careful, especially in the winter when it gets cold, I could just drop it because the sensation isn't correct right. in my in my hand, you see, and I don't realise that I'm losing grip on the something. The sensation of weight and stuff, you, you, you wouldn't have it. Yeah, yeah, uh, so yeah, yeah that's yeah. not correct, you know. Yeah, and... and I'm reading an interview with you in, in, in the Echo by Chris Dunn. What you've done now, now that you have, and you changed your whole life really, um, you, you revisited those aspects of your life and you discovered very quickly which ones are important and which, which ones are not. What is important to you now, Ben? What is most important to me is my family. Mm. Um, work comes secondary. Work is there to provide me with a lifestyle, with a life. Not, I don't live to work, I work to live. How much work can you do now compared to the work of an active farmer all those years ago? Oh, I can do, I can run the farm perfectly. 
you know, the way I am. You know, and anybody that knows me knows that I can do it. There are certain things I can't do anymore. We used to show a lot of cattle going to summer shows and stuff like that. I can't do that anymore because it's too much um, of a strain on my upper body and it causes problems. But once you know the jobs that you don't do, you guess, you know, you you change your system don't you? so you don't have to do those jobs. Yeah. Now, at the time, yeah, your wife is, is Elaine, two youngsters, Jackie and Harry, they were six and four at the time. It's traumatic for a family, an injury like that. The whole family's affected. Yes, it would be. And that's, and that's really was what, what, what affected me the most was the fact of if I was killed, where would Elaine and Jackie and Harry have been? You know, it would have put them in an, an awful situation you know, where she'd be left with a farm to manage or to whatever she'd have to do with it at that situation. You don't know, she might have to dispose of it or whatever. But it's to put her into that situation would have been, a, that that was um, that was a frightening thought to have, you know. Um, like, Elaine was working full-time back then and she didn't know a lot about the running of the farm. I ran the farm. She had her job to do because she used to come home in the evening and that was our lifestyle. But then once the accident happened, it just changed the whole lot and we looked at it and it didn't happen straight away. But Elaine and myself, we sat back and we looked at it and we said, you know what, now, do you need to be working? Is it going to be better for us, the two of us, to stay at home? on the farm we were able to provide ourselves with a living we didn't have the same amount of money as what we had when she was working but we had a way better quality of life yeah did you learn a little bit about 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 life ben as in you know so many of us i use us as a just as a general term but so many people they work and they work and they work and they work and they don't stop you they don't you had no choice but to stop and reevaluate. Correct. And you see, some people are working and, and work, 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 and why are they working so hard? Because they don't even have the time to enjoy what the money they're making, you know? There is no point in that. You work, like I said, you work to live, you don't live to work. Um, like, you know, even in farming and stuff like that, you're, there's a lot of promotion of, of expansion and, you know, Every if you're not expanding, you're not getting, you're not really doing the job, really. I suppose some people, but you have to ask the question: the persons who are promoting all this expansion, why are they promoting it? Because they're the gainers at the end of the day, more than likely than the person that's doing the yeah. expanding. You know, yeah. and like people need to reevaluate what. What's it all about? Have I got time for my children? If while your children are up to teenagers, Jackie and Harry now are eighteen and twenty, yeah. right? If Harry just did he's leaving, well, the leaving that didn't happen, yeah. and Jackie's in college. Like the most important years to be with your children are up to their mid-teens. You know, if you can be there with your children at that stage, like that's when you're going to form the bonds and stuff like that and do things with them. That's really important. It, it kind of. Is it fair to say, Ben, it reset your whole outlet on outlook on life? Definitely. Definitely. There is no question about that. Um, it, it's put a new perspective on everything. And like I said, our focus then was 
right? We wanted to make the farm. We we did an investment on the farm in 2007 to make the running of the farm simpler because we realised that we need to have the farmyard set up so that anybody can come in and just do the day-to-day management or feeding of the cattle and stuff like that. You need to have that set up simple so anybody can do it. Yeah. We, we, we did that in 2007 and we have it fairly well done and we're streamlining all the time to make it simpler, to give us more time to mm. do what we want to do. Now, now we do enjoy our farming very yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I'm sure uh, to, to come back to farming after an accident like that proves one thing, if it proves nothing else, how much you actually love being a farmer. Yeah, well, for me, that's all I know, you know. Yeah. I don't know anything else. I never... Um, I never, never had any other job. I was born, reared on the farm, and that's all I know. You know, I, yeah. I don't need, know how to do it. I never did any other job, only all agri-related, you know. Yeah. Um, I know that you also be, become a huge advocate for, for farm safety and, and, and the kind of accident that happened to you with that shaft back in 2006. Like, has anything happened technologically since to prevent that happening to some other poor devil out in the farm? Oh, yes. Well, the cover on, on the PTO shafts, on vacuum tankers, now compared to that old machine, they, they, it would be very, very difficult for that accident to happen, virtually impossible for it to happen if everything is in place, yeah. you know? That's good. And, and, like, there has an awful lot of emphasis being put on it and, and stuff like that on safety. But still, there's more places where they don't pay much attention to it. And look, they're saying, I'm sure I've been doing it all my life and I've got away with it, but someday something will happen and it's not might necessarily be a PTO shaft. You know, it could be it could be anything else. You could just even slip and break your leg on on a patch of the yard that's messy or dirty or something, you know? Well, well how, many, um, how many times do, do, do we hear throughout the year of the number of accidents on farms? Sadly, many of them fatal. Finally, Ben, you, you've got a, a website now called embracefarm.ie. Tell me about that. Well, I, I haven't that website. They, they were a group of people that set up um, Embrace Farm. It was set up by a, a farmer up in Leash, uh, Mr. Rohan, and he, his father had died in a farm accident. And they realised there was no sort of su- support group or anything where farmers could who had suffered this much the same, you know, farm injuries and farm fatalities more so, where people could talk to each other and stuff like that and get a bit of support. There was nothing like that before. And this guy set that up and I think it was 2012, right? That wasn't there when I had the accident. It would have been very beneficial to me if there was somebody I could have a chat with about the farm accidents and stuff like that, that somebody had gone through the same thing. But they have that up and running and, and they're doing tremendous work with with um, with farmers, you know, and both survivors of farm accidents and the families of people who died in farm accidents. Yeah, and sadly, there, there are too many of them. Thankfully, you weren't one yeah. of them. Ben, thanks so, for talking to me today and, and continue good health and uh, may your recovery continue. Thank you very much, PJ. That's Ben Royal, 1850-715-996. Horrible accident 14 years ago. Uh, and it taught him so many things. 
Live to work, don't work. Work to live, don't live to work. Easier said than done for many, I guess. 1857 just on the fight for Fionn. Uh, we were talking again to uh, to Brenda, Fionn's mom, before the news at 11 o'clock. The listeners, says D uh, on WhatsApp, the listeners have fallen in love with Fionn's story and the resilience of his parents. It makes us all stop and think of our minor worries, but also of the real heartache of what many families have to endure during COVID and, and the not knowing what to do from a perplexed government. 1850-715-996 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With the indoor self-service laundrette Now at the Junction Vickers Road Open every day to save you time and money Selfservicelaundry.ie 1850-715-996 With so much sport still taking place behind closed doors or with really small crowds because of social distancing and COVID-19. There's a lot of sports events now being streamed online. For example, all the League of Ireland matches are streamed online. And I think when the rugby comes back, a lot of that will be streamed online too. Uh, those ones that aren't normally shown on telly. But not degree GAA have uh, brought... Um, something to the attention of, of, of the public. Patrick Hickey is their PRO. Patrick, good morning. Hello, uh, Peter. How are you? Good. There's a racket going on with, with online streaming of GEA games. Tell me. There is. There is. Um, now, I suppose, recently, um, we played, not the GEA, we played St. Vincent's from the city in the, in the, the county championship. Right. And, of course, there was... Um, there was limitations on the game, and you know a lot of people from not the and I'm sure from the other side as well in St Vincent's uh, couldn't get get to the game. So I, I was surprised, firstly, uh, later shocked when I was told by a friend um, Sunday night uh, that was it was great that uh, the not St Vincent's game was now up on YouTube. That there was a a live stream available. Now, even though the game was was over, you could still go back to the stream and, and watch all the action, or, or so he believed. Now, I said it to him. That couldn't be, you know. Now, what we had actually organised for that game was an audio commentary, you know, which we did on our Facebook page, Not Degree Facebook, or Not Degree GA Facebook. And I was surprised then that, some, that there was something, you now on YouTube. So I went away, I did a bit of investigating. It's very easy to do, anyone can do it. So I typed into, the, into YouTube, Not Degree V St. Vincent's. And there on the screen in front of me were actually six options Six different streams I could click on to go back to the stage to watch the game. Right. No, I, I said, "Geez, I, I'll see. I'll chance one of these now and see where, where it goes." So I, I clicked on the link. Now, and I suppose the dangerous thing here, and I suppose what your listeners have to be aware of, and I suppose to, to warn people about as well, it is so sophisticated. And I suppose clever is the wrong word. I suppose sly. When you go to the YouTube link. Uh, there are these notes. Uh, again, they're offering there'll be full match coverage, there'll be interviews, highlights, man of the match, all these kinds of things. And it looks excellent. It, lo- it looks like the real deal. Again, I clicked on the link. Now, this one took me out of YouTube. And I went to another, another web page. And again, this page was even more impressive. Again, there was a Croke Park backdrop above it. It said, Bonsacours County Championship, Knocknagree versus St. Vincent's. And, of course, a big fat play button in the middle. Right. So, again, I said I'd click on that. And uh, next thing, I was being asked for my, my personal and credit card details. Ah. That's the thing. Now, if, if I wasn't wise to it, 
And I suppose... How much money you, were they looking for? I didn't go that far, PJ. Right. You know, when I smelt a rat and, and a dangerous one at that, I, I, le- I left it at that, you know. But and you're absolutely uh, certain, Patrick, that there was no video available anywhere of this match? No, there, there would have been. I, I, we would have had our own video of the game, you know, but that was, that was organised between yeah. the clubs. But, but there was no put that pub- up online. No public broadcast. No, I suppose, uh, having an inquiry mind, you know, I said, you know, I'll check out, was it just not degree in Vincent's? So I said, you know what, we've good neighbours in Valley Desmond and Kiss Game. So I checked out, were there streams, in inverted commas, <laughs> available on their games? And the same thing. Actually, a number of options the same rigmarole, the same big write-up about the game and all the great things they'll give you if you, if you, if you click on the link. Yeah. Um, again, I, I have connections in Killer. We, we would maybe calling area now to mainly yeah. football. And, and, and do you know of anybody, Patrick, and who, who clicked through and actually got money taken from them? No. Thankfully, I don't. But I suppose what I'd be concerned about is, you know, I suppose, like with COVID... Uh, there's a whole new, we're in a whole new world now. You know, oh, I suppose there, there was a time when a stream was something you you dip your toes in, you know. But today, though, you know, and again, certainly among all, the older generation, you know, they're picking up their newspaper, they're hearing about streams on the Irish Examiner, YouTube, and clubs are doing it. And sure you know yourself, like, once you get into YouTube, it's very easy to use, it's very easy to click on, and next thing, it's there in front of you. And again, I suppose it's a carrot as well, you know, because people, and again, I suppose certainly older people who've been going to matches for years can now, because of COVID and the restrictions in place, they would give their back teeth to watch their to club watch, play. To watch the match, they would, they would indeed. But no, no, we don't know anyone yet who's actually clicked through the link and, and, and seen what money is involved. or, or, yeah. or but, but, but certainly you got to a, a credit card page. Yeah, but but I have to, I have to say, you know... Like, what they've done is, they've certainly done it for every, it seems to me anyway, they've done it for every county championship game, from intermediate to senior, uh, certainly in football. And as I, as I was saying there, I, I checked Killer, they're a senior hurling. And just briefly, I, 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 I imagine being a PRO for a club like Nottingham if there was an official source for this stuff, you'd probably have been told about it, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. All right. You know, well, we'll see if anyone if anyone has come across it as well, and if they have been unfortunate enough to lose any money. Uh, thanks, Patrick. Patrick Hickey from Ochtonbury GAA. He's their PRO, or maybe just maybe, because we don't know. Because Patrick doesn't know anyone who clicked through. Maybe that is a legitimate way to watch a match. Has anyone gone further than the play button and the credit card? Is there a stream out there? Is there someone operating a streaming ser- service for the county championship that we don't know about? Now, to be quite honest with you, I, I, I'd be—I don't think that something like that would get past our man Finney Mac. And if Finney Mac hasn't heard uh, of a streaming service, then then the probable reason one. Uh, but we'll follow this one with interest. Is—is is there any genuine streaming service, or is this? A way to catch people for a few, Bob. 1857-15996. Back to the north side and to what we know, and stressing only what we know about COVID-19 north of the Lee. And all that we know and all that we can actually officially say is that there are two cases, two confirmed cases, and that there are other people awaiting 
the outcome of tests. That is all we know. Uh, the Neffet figures say there were an increase of three cases in Cork yesterday. That's the official Neffet figures. Three cases in Cork confirmed yesterday. We only know of two in in, in the north side. And a lot of finger pointing and stuff on, on social media, which we were doing our best to discourage uh, this morning. Sinead is, is in St. Luke. Sinead, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are things? Good. What would you like to say? Um, well, I suppose, like anybody, I've been hearing the rumours about the, the north side for a few days now. I suppose I got a phone call about it on Saturday because I'm actually from Farnley myself. Right. My mum is in her 80s. She still lives up there. Most of my family is still there, even though I've moved all the way over to Mayfield. Um, that's that's so immigration. I, that's immigration, like in. I know. In... <laughs> I'm nearly in trouble for being on the wrong side of the hill. Um, so I, I went to what was a tool that was launched back in June by the Department of Health, which is their uh, their data hub. Um, and you know anybody who's a bit of a bit of a data nerd about these sorts of things would have would have clicked into it when it was launched. And it it looks fantastic. It's got charts. It's got maps. Um, and it actually splits up the cases even by small electoral areas Um, and you know I I remember clicking into it in June and thinking this is fantastic I'm going to be able to to really get down to the nitty gritty of things you know Um, but those maps haven't been updated since the the 12th of June Um, and actually it was launched on the 18th of June so even at the time that it was was launched it was out of date I think Um, what might have happened Sinead there is another one now which has taken the data and put it on another site but, I mean, the, the, the data hub that this is still there is still updating everything else. It's still updating the cumulative. It's still the link that you go to from the Department of Health. So if they've, if they've usurped it, you know, they've, they've only partially done it, you know. Yeah. Um, and as far as I know, the other one doesn't break it down into such small areas. It kind of just has, you know, larger cork area, whereas this one had it at the time anyway, like I said, by quite small electoral areas. So yeah. you would have been able to actually confirm, you know, for anybody worried like me and up in the uh, Farnry area that, you know, is this something that myself and my family and my mum need to worry about? Well, yeah. you know, Yes or no, you know. Well, as I say, we now we're we're aware of uh, two say two two cases in in the Northside area, and uh, many people a number quite a number of people awaiting the result of tests, and that that's all that we know at this at this point. But are people nervous? Are you nervous now? I'm quite nervous. Yeah, I mean, like we were all we all kind of behaved ourselves. We all kind of were as careful as we possibly could, and you know, quite a lot of us didn't see relatives for a very long time, and. You know, with the with the schools opening up in just a couple of weeks' time, we're all expecting things to to start to get a little bit chaotic again. But if it's in any way preventable, you know, that's that's what people you know will will try and do. You know. I think you're concerned about St Luke's in it, in particular as an area, are you? Well, like I said, in Mayfield, actually, not St Luke's. <laughs> um, well, I suppose I'm. Um, I'm a, a college student myself. I teach. Um, I'm, you know, gone back to to do teaching after a chemistry degree many years ago. So, um, and I have two two small kids, uh, one in crash and one going into primary school. So, I've got all four levels of education to worry about, mm. uh, from early childhood right up as far as college. And uh, and you know, I've I was already kind of thinking about being wary about seeing anybody who would have any sort of concern in terms of their own health. And now this is 
you know, the the fact that it could be kind of starting to transmit around again in the community has just made me even more wary. Yeah, we, we had another call uh, from a listener uh, about St. Luke's who's saying that there's crowds there every evening now with no social distancing. And uh, she's been told of people in the area who've travelled abroad with their children and are not isolating on their return. And again, we don't want to get into the business of finger pointing, but but that is what's happening. We're, we're hearing and I suppose that's, that's where kind of like, you know, having having a trusted um, source of data is what's so important here, you know, um, because otherwise people will start going around with those rumours and that's not going to be helping anybody because, you know, if, if we can categorically say that, you know, there is an issue in a particular area and, you know, everybody has been informed of it and, you know, the, the testing, tracing and all that sort of thing is working, then, you know, that confidence then helps everybody. Um, but it's the lack of confidence and the lack of lack of information that's when people start to worry and these rumours start to propagate, you know. Okay, leave it there. Thank you, Sinead Halpin, uh, 1850-715-996. As I say, at the risk of repeating myself, which, which I'm doing, of course, is that we know of two cases and that there are a number of tests pending, number of people waiting for the result of tests, and that the official figures yesterday from Neffet for Cork was three cases, an increase of three cases on the previous day. The hub that Sinead was referring to, it started up and then it seems to change. It seemed to change. I don't have it to hand right now, but what I will do in time for tomorrow is I will dig up the name of the actual proper hub that I use, for example, to calculate the fortnightly figures for Cork. And that's updated, fully updated about every 48 hours. Uh, depending on the information that comes in, comes in first through Neffet and then it goes up into this new hub with maps and graphs and, and, and all of that. So I'll, I'll have the proper details of the address of that for you uh, by tomorrow. Um, but but there seems to be a couple of them up there, which it doesn't help. Like it, it just does not help. Every so often, we like to recommend a book for you to read or, or an author for you to follow, in particular if those books are based in or about Cork. I particularly love crime uh, based in Cork and about Cork and written about Cork. And uh, there's a new one out that I think you'll be excited by. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. Now, if you read crime novels, you know that if you get a good successful series of crime novels with a good successful central character that people can identify with, you're on to an absolute winner. Think of, for example, the, the great stories of Hercule Poirot or think of the, 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 those um, Swedish crime novels and, and their central characters. But it's great to see one coming out of Cork, a new series coming out of Cork and written by a Corkman where the central character is a guy called Detective Tim Collins. And the book is called Whatever It Takes. It's written by Tyg Coakley and it's the Cork's One City, One Book Choice, the latest one on, on that list. Tyg, it's your second book. Um, good morning to you. Hi, um, Peter. Thanks for having me on the show. And d- d- delighted. You're a, you're a former librarian. 
So you decided, after leaving the library, to give us something to read. I did, really. I did. I think I'd want I'd wanted to be a writer all my life, really, PJ. And when I was getting ready for retirement, I said, well, now's my chance. I'd have some time on my hands and I uh, gave it a go. I signed up for uh, an MA in creative writing in UCC. And I had started the crime novel, whatever it takes, at that stage. Uh, but then I got distracted into a different book, a book called The First Sunday in September, which came directly out of the MA. And that's a, it's a sports fiction book, really. It revolves around a fictional All-Ireland Hurling Final Sunday. When that was published in 2018, I had the confidence to go back and finish the crime novel. And yeah, it was published last week and it won the Cork One City Award, which I'm absolutely thrilled about. Now, you're hoping, I think from reading about it anyway, you're hoping that... that um Tim Collins, your your detective guy there, will become a character that you can continue into into a series of books. I do, really. Um, and anybody who has read whatever it takes will see at the ending that there's some scope for that. So I'm hoping to follow up with um, a sequel uh, where he ties up some of the loose ends that appear in this book. And then my third book in the series, I'm hoping, will be a prequel which will refer to something that happens before whatever it takes uh, when there's actually a serial killer in Cork City and it'll say a little bit more about Colin's upbringing, his youth and so on. Well, you've a head full of plans and ideas, my man. (laughs) Well, I I haven't started those two books yet, PJ, but fingers crossed I'll I'll get to them in the next two years. Have you got publishing deals and stuff in place? No, I've no contracts written. I've nothing really like that. So um, I'm concentrating at the moment on this book. And I have another book coming out in in a a couple of months I'll tell you about in a while. But... uh, then I'll settle down with the publishers and we'll, we'll sort something out, hopefully. When you're devising a character that your hope will stay in the in the eyes and the minds, I say the eyes because you have to be able to try and see the person as you're reading the book, say in the eyes and the minds of the reader, what, what do you do? How do you how do you build a character like, like, say, Tim Collins? Well, I think there has to be a certain amount of complexity in the character. You know, he's not a straightforward good guy. He's not a bad guy, so he has issues in his life. He's been through the ringer in a, a previous case to this book. So there has to be a certain vulnerability. I mean, he's a tough guy in some ways. He's a former inter-county horror, but at the same time, I want people to empathize with him and to, uh, you know, to feel that they can, can stay with him because eventually, and, and the, the series of books that you mentioned earlier, it's very important almost. The character is nearly more important than the plot because... When we read these books, we're spending a lot of time with these characters, so you really have to be compelled by them. You have to be able to, I always think you have to be able to see them, to close your eyes and in your mind's eye, you might be right or wrong, but in your mind's eye, form a picture. That if they walked up to you, you'd know them. Absolutely, and you have to kind of feel you know them as well, and you have to feel in a way that they're connected to you somehow and this happens in all sorts in films and music and everything as well but certainly early on in the book I do describe Collins and he's the kind of character like you mentioned some of the Swedish books you know I remember there was one series um, by Henning Mankel called Wallander yes in the end of them when he 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 kills off Wallander I was appalled I remember I was reading it in a cafe I couldn't believe it because I said very personally connected to the character Wallander. Yes. So I hope people will feel the same way about Collins. Too. Now, the, the, the plot is that he is up against a, a criminal big shot, a big, big-time big criminal called Malloy. 
That's and, right. And he's investigating yeah. a murder. Now, again, it's set in the streets of Cork. It's set around Cork. For a Cork writer writing a Cork book for a Cork and hopefully a wider audience, you've got to be careful with your geography. You do really, and as you know, in even the in the Nordic books that you mentioned, the sense of place in these books is very important. You yeah. know, and um, I walked all the kind of streets where I was going to set scenes and try to pick out all those. And there are some iconic places. The book opens mm-hmm. at the Port of Cork sign down in the docks there, uh, where a body is found, and uh, Collins takes that that personally. There's a girl, a body of a girl found in the river, and he blames Malloy uh, for for her death. And so he goes to war with him, basically, and he acts out against Malloy, Malloy retaliates, and a kind of a battle royale basically develops between the two of them, which uh, takes place on the streets of Cork. Mm. Tyke, have you read the Katie Maguire books? I have indeed. Yeah. She's a great character. Massive great char- character. Well, let, let's Oscar. hope that Tim Collins becomes the next Katie Maguire because I think she's being quietly retired in in in, oh. the, in the latest oh. book of the series. So I hope not. And let's hope that Tim Collins can become as identifiable and wonderful a character as as Katie Maguire. And had a quick leaf through the book last evening. I haven't sat down to digest it yet because I'm currently stuck with Catherine Ryan Howard's book. Getting through it, it's wonderful. Oh, but I can't yeah. wait to I can't wait to get into whatever it takes. And I really wish you well with Detective Garda Tim Collins. Thanks very much, PJ. Thanks a million. Cheers. That's Ty Coakley. That's it. The programme edited by Deirdre Shotnessy, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Wash your hands. Keep your distance. Stick on that mask when you're going into a shop or anywhere like that. Behave yourselves. See you tomorrow just after nine.